Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. If there's any woman out there who is going through what I went through, know that you are loved by an almighty God, that God loves you. He cares about you. Don't buy into the lies that you're being told, that you're inferior that you deserve, whether you deserve it or not, you need to be beaten once a week. That you're, all you're good for is, is cooking, cleaning, sex. You're worth more than that. Look at Proverbs 31 and see how much worth you are to God. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Skorzynski, and you're listening to episode number four of the Preacher Boys podcast. I just want to take a second really quick to thank all of you for the overwhelming support of this show Uh, We are just releasing this fourth episode, and uh, as of the first three, uh, we've received almost 3,000 downloads, which is an insane number of listeners in nearly 20 different countries. And so it's just amazing to see the popularity of the show, uh, so many more stories to tell, so many powerful testimonies of survival. On this episode, I have an interview with Wendy Sadler. Uh, When her dad embraced Christianity, they began getting involved in the IFB movement. In the late 70s and early 80s, they returned to Easton, Pennsylvania and began attending the First Baptist Church, then pastored by Joe Thompson. She describes the church as IFB on steroids and attended there from age 8 to 16. Heirs of accusations did not stop an unaccredited school from being opened. And then she began seeing firsthand at this school the abuse of her mentally handicapped brothers by Pastor Joe Thompson and the Christian school. Wendy's personal hell began in 1984 when she says Pastor Joe Thompson began trying to sexually groom her and other girls in the school, eventually attempting to force himself upon some of them. Whether you are in the movement, whether you had a past experience with the movement, or whether you've seen family or friends hurt by the movement, this is a very powerful story of very dark abuse and then overcoming and so i want you to listen to this episode with wendy sadler but i do want to say this episode deals very heavily with the topics of sexual assault uh, verbal and physical abuse uh, specifically directed at minors and in some cases toward those who may have mental handicaps and so this is a very very difficult episode So I just want to issue a quick trigger warning. If any of those topics are something that you don't want to hear about right now, please uh, consider just pausing the episode and coming back to it at a time when uh, it would be healthy for you to do so. I really appreciate Wendy's openness here. Um, It's a deeply, 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 deeply emotional episode. And I know that once you listen, you're going to agree. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Wendy Sadler. I came to know Christ at a young age. I came to know Christ at five, but beforehand, um, when I was born, I was born into technically what could be considered a dysfunctional family because my father wasn't saved. He was an alcoholic and my mom was saved and they had been dating and everything in the military. They both met and married in the Navy, but then along the way, um, they got married, and for the first for the first three years of their marriage, of course, it was this situation. I was born in, during those first three years, and then my father got saved, and it was a dramatic change in my father. Hmm. And by the time I was about five, about uh, between three and five, uh, 
where we moved from where I was born and raised at in Easton, Pennsylvania, to uh, up in the Pocono area, uh, lived in a town called Ackermanville, but we started going to this church called Calvary Baptist Church of Scioto, okay. which is in Poconos. That's where I think I first got a glimpse of, it, of this. We weren't there long. I think we were there from the time I was in kindergarten until uh, part of third grade. And there you started seeing glimpses of this conservatism of, I believe, because they're part of, they're part of the, uh, what I'm realizing now was part of the IFB, but that they had a lot of ties to Bob Jones University in particular. And they were a bit more organized with their Christian school than, than most. Okay. My family left there. I was in third grade when we left. By this point, uh, I had uh, two siblings, a third on the way, and my father was being falsely accused of adultery. Hmm. And it was stemming from uh, an issue with my two brothers in reality. I have two brothers who are mentally challenged, which I will go into a little bit more here. And the issue was that my father, the other false accusation was my father wasn't controlling his household well. And it was basically because uh, my brothers, especially Daniel, uh, who, who was mentally challenged, uh, they had, we, we were just finding out they had learning disabilities and people didn't know what to do with things like this, with, with, with mental retardation, I hate to use that word, they didn't understand it, so uh, they chalked it off as something else, you know. And Daniel was only lucky to be maybe, I think, two to four at the time. I, I was about seven, so I'm thinking, you know, he had to have been about three or four. You know, I'm seven or eight, and we ultimately left that church. And I don't remember too much about that. I mean, I remember some things, some some not so positive things there, um, in, in regards to that. But the the place I remember the most was when we got back to Easton. We got involved with a church that uh, was that is called uh, the the First Baptist Church of Easton, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It's located. Uh, in Palmer Township in in, in Easton, uh, it is definitely you want to talk about IFB. It's IFB on steroids. I think hmm. we went there from the time I was eight until I was sixteen, and I was involved. I was in their Christian school, or I should say, they called it Christian Institute. From the time I was in fifth grade until what could be considered 10th grade. when, okay. And that's what I, I think I really want to focus on here. My, my dad was deeply, my mom and my dad were deeply wrapped up in this, hmm. in this, in this legalism on steroids, I'm going to call it. And hmm. uh, as I said, I, I was, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, my faith in God is still strong. That's never wavered. You know, it, it's been, it's been through some battles, but basically we were, you know, my father was embracing this legalism. He was always listening on the radio to Lester Roloff when he was at work and, you know, all these other people. So we, we, we knew more than knew about Lester Roloff and Jack Kyle's, you know, right. in particular. And when, the, the pastor of the church at that time was Joe Thompson. And Joe Thompson was a good old boy from Elizabeth in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he basically wrapped, I think the moment he found out, because this was, we started going to the church in late 78, 79. And then in 1980, he decides to start the Christian Institute okay. because he was strongly adamant that, you know, the state shouldn't be re- educating children, you know, uh, you know, children, you know, you see right. what I'm saying. 
As a matter of fact, he used to refer to the public school system as the Philistine school system. Hmm. And, <coughs> pardon me, when we first started going there, things seemed okay. You know, we, we you know, my, my parents fully embraced all this. I think the moment he had heard about Lester Roloff, he went down there. You know, when, when Lester Roloff was, you know, being barraged with, you know, the, the which what I'm seeing now especially was, you know, justified accusations and justified charges of abuse. And he was always preaching. He started preaching about how the state, you know, the state government and the federal government was of the devil and, and all this other stuff. Right. And, you know, ranting about separation of church and state. You know, how, well, if they're going to use that, you know, but state can't tell us what to do type of thing. And, you know, I agree on that, but not the way he did. Oh, my Lord, no. Hmm. And when the, the Christian Institute first started, he was instituting um, he was, that they were using this educational material called um, life packs, which were from Alpha and Omega, Alpha okay. Omega. And it was one of those, it was like ACE, learn at your own pace garbage. Right. Problem with that was that the information in there, as I've learned much later, was not only biased but inaccurate. Uh, one of the things that I excelled at was in Bible in particular. I mean, uh, but, you know, a few other things. But I started having some problems in math and science. And somehow or another, the... Uh, at somebody's insistence, they brought in somebody who was good in that area who helped me through it, which I'm thankful for. That was like fifth or sixth grade early on. But uh, you started noticing, I don't know how to describe it, Eric, but it was like, you know, uh, an attitude of everybody outside of us is is evil. You see what I'm right. saying? Yeah. And you know, I, I was brought up in this. I was, I was brought up, you know, you know, the Bible is the word of God, which I believe it is, but mm -hmm. it was according to their, their, their interpretation, you know, that the, 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 the King James version only ate us. Right. And I read the King James version. I love the King James version, you know, but I also think that there are other versions, NASB and NIV in particular, and, and the New Living Translation, uh, that I read them alongside, and I get a lot out of all of them. Hmm. But I digress. Please don't mind me. No. But uh, during this time, uh, and I'm basing this not just on my personal experience, but also what my mom and and, and mom has told me, and what uh, I've learned from my sister uh, that that my father finally told her. My father passed away two years ago. Um, that uh, Joe Thompson uh, was a womanizer. To say that would be an understatement. Hmm. Uh, we learned later that he was uh, pursuing uh, extramarital relationships with at least two to three divorced women, uh, divorced A's. And one of the families left the church because of it. We didn't understand why. Now we know he right. was, he was uh, pursuing the wife and she was too scared to resist him. And uh, from what I'm deducing, he started going after the teenage daughters, possibly of a couple of, of, of a couple of uh, girl, uh, uh, teenage daughters of, of a particular family, excuse me. And then during that first, those first two years, they left, they were gone. They, they kind of like vanished off the face of the earth and, and nobody really talked about them. Right. But then, Thompson, Joe Thompson started really getting steeped even deeper and deeper into his, his, his IFB mindset, his mindset, you know, still ranting and raving about the state being of the devil and everything else, you know, the government. He would never, Eric, he would never preach straight God's word. It was always politics. Right. He would never preach the Bible. He'd be ranting and raving for, for hours on end almost. And there, no, no, no scripture to back anything he set up. He would completely ignore Romans 13, you know, the first few verses about obeying the government. Right. Uh, and also in, in the Christian school, he really started 
uh, like, like I said, you know, the, 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 I'd say probably by about, I'm trying to think, when all of a sudden he started switching from these life packs to, um, to uh, the, 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 the a, a Becca books, because that was out of Pensacola, Florida, which was also yeah. deep, you know, there. The, the Becca books had a little bit more detail to them. And I remember a Becca from Calvary, you know, during the first three years I was there. And right. um, the, one of the problems with these life packs, this learn at your own pace thing, is like I said, the information in there wasn't always accurate. And I found that out, especially uh, with with the Bible aspect, the hard way in a sense. Uh, there was one uh, question I was taking in a Bible test uh, before I passed that this particular book. Uh, the question was pertaining to who uh, took Jesus's body and and bury and 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 uh, put it in his own tomb. And, it, and anybody knows it's Joseph of Arimathea, but mm-hmm. this novice teacher uh, named Teresa Harkoff, uh, and I and, and I say novice. I mean, she thought she was she had an intellect, but I don't. There's she was more vain than intellect. Uh, <laughs> she she was insistent that it, that my answer was wrong based on the answer key of this life pack, and when she was shown not only by my mom but the assistant pastor there who was a really good egg uh, that she was wrong and that the, the answer key was wrong. That's when, you know, problems started there. So they decided, okay, we're going to change. We're, we're, we're going to not use these things because of this issue. And I'd say this was probably by about maybe eighth or ninth grade. Um, this, this happened. Uh, I know from like about 82 to 84, up until 19, you know, late 83, early 84, uh, the assistant pastor, whose name, whose name was Michael Wallace, was there. And he was a really great guy, loved the Lord. Then in 84, he left, and that's when my nightmare began. Okay. And uh, when I say by my nightmare is this is when Thompson started singling me, and I would find out later a couple of other girls out sexually trying to groom us Hmm. it would start with you know uh it would start with paying us all these interesting compliments it would start with uh touching it would be seemingly harmless but it would be very it would be it would turn very inappropriate and i have this one very clear memory and i know that this happened i remember what i was wearing and I say that because what I was wearing was a dress that was given to me by Joe Thompson's very own wife. She gave me a whole bunch of her old dresses. Hmm. And this dress in particular that I was wearing was sort of at that time one of my favorite dresses. And Thompson had developed this uh, attitude about women that, you know, women belonged in the kitchen, you know, that whole garbage. Right. Um barefoot pregnant in the kitchen crap yeah and uh this this Teresa Harkoff wanted to start this little Christian charm school thing called Liberty Bells and it was to teach us how to cook and clean and be proper little ladies right and to this day Eric I hate the ter- I hate the word ladies or lady because I think it denotes a whore that's just me hmm. We were learning all these things, and the things that we were learning was, was stuff that my mom was teaching me, you know, basic right. things on how to cook, how to make certain things. My, my mom was, was teaching me this already. Right. So one of the – he instituted this thing of home ec. Each girl had to take a turn doing dishes each day. So this particular day, it was my turn to do the dishes, and that the kitchen was designed – in such a way where the sink area, the kitchen sink area in particular, where one is doing the dishes, is secluded from other people's field of view. And I'm doing the dishes there, and I'm wearing this white dress with very thin light green stripes. Okay. The inside of the dress was this same light green. 
and I'm where and and I'm I'm there doing dishes. I remember this dress zipped up. It had a sash that that tied in the front, and it had a it had a hood. That was right. one of the unique. So I'm I'm there doing dishes, unbeknownst to me. He comes up. Joe Thompson comes up behind me, grabs me by the waist, starts fondling me. His mm. hands are on my breasts and my thighs, and about ready to go in between my legs. I'm almost certain of it. And he was kissing me. Wow. He, it was like a full-on kiss. And I'd never had this happen to me before. I had to have been at least like 15 at this point. And I remember, you know, around this time, I was very well-developed for my age physically, if you get my meaning. Sure. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was singling me out. Right. Me, me and a, a couple of other girls. And I pushed him away. I was kind of shocked. And then he kind of looked like, the look was like, how dare you push me away? And then I think he, he went away because I think he was, maybe in his mind, he thought I was his wife. Hmm. And I, I was trying to rationalize that. Right. There's no excuse for that. Sure. And then it would transcend into, um, Afterwards, coming up behind me and slapping me on the back or on my backside. Mm -hmm. And he would do it in such a way where nobody, nobody would, would, would see what he was doing. Right. He, would, he would do it real quick and leave. That was one of his little methods. Or, or he'd, use a, he'd use a comb on me to, to, to smack me. And, he, oh. and he'd do it in inappropriate places. Right. And I went to my I told my parents, I said to my, my parents, Pastor Joe is touching me, and I don't like it. Oh, my mom and my dad's response was, well, hit him back. Mm. So I did. Well, guess who gets in trouble for it? Right. Uh, this, this same uptight, vain woman, Teresa Harkoff, only sees me respond, and I get to write 50 times, the young lady will not hit the pastor. Wow. What, and what was the, What was the feeling... Going, you know, obviously a situation like that being, you know, I can't imagine being scary, you know, at, you know, 15 and, you know, not knowing, not knowing what to do, not knowing what your options are. What is it? What's the emotion in your mind when, you know, obviously, first of all, someone who you trust in an authority position taking advantage of that power and then mm -hmm. going to the people who are supposed to protect you, your parents, what's, what's the emotional response when they're, they basically say you're on your own, you know, just defend yourself. What, what was the reaction you had to that? Let down, let mm. down. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, it was, it was, I started to realize from that moment when, when he did that to me in the kitchen, I'm like, what he is doing is wrong. I do not want him touching me. Right. And I, I couldn't, I could, something about it, I couldn't equate, I, I couldn't effectively get it out to my parents, specifically how he was touching me. I wish I could have, right. but I'm not blaming myself for that because I didn't know how to. No, I didn't you, know shouldn't, how to you shouldn't bear the weight of that responsibility at 15. Bingo. Bingo. That's one of the things I learned when I finally was able to get help. And right. I confronted this guy about it after being made to write these 50 times. I confronted him and I used 1 Corinthians 7, 1 that says, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. His response was, well, when you get to be a woman, then I won't touch you. Mm. Wow. I was like, I was like, excuse you? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I think I've been technically biologically here I've been a woman since I was 12, maybe even 11. And I said, what you were doing is, you know, I don't remember my exact words, but I'm, I was pointing out the fact that what you're doing is inappropriate. Right. You are not supposed to be touching me in this manner. I, I was basically referring to a sexual manner here because I was starting to realize that I just didn't know how to articulate it. And I got 
well, why don't you act, why don't you all act like all the other little honey cakes? In other words, all the other girls in school. And now I'm realizing it. Um, at that point, my my thing was okay. Act like all the other girls in school who were causing the most trouble, the little snot-nosed brats. But I didn't realize until a few years ago. Oh, in other words, all your victims. Yeah. And I told them, I said, I don't act like them. I don't dress like them. I don't talk like them. And I don't do the things they do. And no one's going to make me. At that point, I was, I was about going on 16. Uh, I got your uh, little miss hypocrite, little miss self-righteous, miss straight-laced person with a saucy attitude. He would find every way he could to berate me. Right. He would find every way he could to berate me verbally. And, 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 and f- he did this in front of my mom one day and my mom, my mom flipped. Hmm. There was one, uh, we, we were, uh, they then changed, uh, he, he wanted to also have backtracking here a little along with Liberty Bells. He wanted to have something for the boys called Sons of Liberty because he was very militant, Eric. Right. He was, he was, he claimed he was a Marine. He was a 90-day wonder reservist that got kicked out of boot camp. <laughs> yeah. And he was, you know, he was always boasting about, you know, being so patriotic and everything else, but he was a flop in that area. And uh, he wanted to start this whole thing, and he wanted the uniforms, the outfits for the boys to be similar to the Marines. Okay. Well, apparently... <laughs> Apparently, somebody got a hold of him on that and said, you do this and the U.S. Marines are going to sue you. And that stopped. Hmm. But we had these uniforms. It was like light blue trousers and dark blue shirts or white shirts for the boys. And for us girls, it was like blue skirts or these blue dresses with white blouses underneath or something. It was really screwball. And it had to be like patriotic theme. And at one, we were visiting a church, and my parents, I think, were there. What my mom had to have been there too. Uh, I can't remember how old I was, maybe fifteen, sixteen again. And he openly referred to me in during this meeting when he was preaching, if you want to call it preaching, uh, referred to me as his girl. Mm-hmm. That really, really gave me the creeps. Yeah, because I think because this was this was like during you know maybe before you know right in around that vicinity of my standing up to him. Right, and did, I don't I'm mean sorry. to interrupt you, but did it did anybody react to that outside of you? Uh, or take, I don't was, was anyone else taken aback by that kind of comment or that kind of the, the my girl? Yeah. Uh, from what I remember, I was hearing a course of amens because huh. it was something about my little brother who got, who was sick, threw up on me. And that, and that was his, in the context, hmm. like trying to say that Satan was using my little brother to, it was really stupid, yeah. you know? And speaking of, cause I, like I said, I have two mentally challenged brothers, Daniel and Seth. Daniel and Seth were also involved in this, with this school too. And I want to share something with you in this area as well. Okay. That I'm sharing this on their behalf because they can't really speak for themselves, especially Seth. Seth was physically abused like you would not believe by this man, Eric. Mm. Uh, Seth, Daniel and Seth had a really difficult time with the schoolwork that they were given because they didn't understand it. And because of that, uh, instead of really taking the time to find educational materials for somebody who has the mentality of a kindergartner or a toddler, uh, it was dismissed as rebelliousness. Right. And he would lock Seth in some type of closet if he wouldn't do his wouldn't or couldn't do his schoolwork. And deprive him of his lunch every day. And when Seth would get home, he'd be sw- just swallowing the food. My parents were like, what in the world's going on? They, they weren't understanding. Yeah. And because 
and, and I'm trying to tell them what's going on with me and, but they're not hearing it. But my dad immediately notices something wrong with, with Seth. And in a way, this was a good thing. One day they both noticed Seth coming when they took the, when he was getting ready for bed, taking his clothes off, they see a huge black and blue welt on his chest, Eric, hmm. because Thompson had been poking him in the chest so severely, so forcefully, it produced this black and blue welt. Hmm. And we were finding out that Thompson wasn't letting him eat his lunch. And also one of the other problems that, that Seth was having that he, I think just within the last couple of years, uh, has stopped doing was he was having a urinary incontinence problem. He was wetting himself. He would wet the bed. He would wet himself at school. There was one moment, Eric, when this happened, he wet himself. Thompson took him into the boys' bathroom or the men's room, uh, took a whole bunch of paper towels, wrapped them around Seth like a diaper, and paraded him around in front of the other students in, 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 in chapel. Jeez. Yeah. And I would try to step, you know, stand up for him. And, and one of the other things that Thompson was trying to do was he was trying to pry personal information out of the, the, the children of the parents to try to get dirt on them. And when my dad started getting wise to what he was doing, and would instruct us to say, we are not allowed to talk about any family issues. He would go irate on it because he knew he couldn't crack me. So he'd try to crack my brothers. And I also yeah. had a younger brother. Uh, I've, I've got three brothers, uh, Daniel, Seth, and Micah. Micah's not mentally challenged. Micah has no learning disabilities to my knowledge. Okay. But Daniel and Seth, uh, we, we, we've, I've learned, especially as of late, Seth's mentality is probably somewhere of a, of a second grader. Okay. And he is now, don't mind me here, he was born in 76. So I think he's, I know he's in his 40s. I think he's probably, I, I think he's probably 44. I could, I could be wrong, maybe a little, a, little young, a little younger, but I know he's in his 40. Daniel... Daniel, I know, is, is 45. Okay. So I think Seth is about 44. But um, imagine being a grown person but having the mentality of a second grader. Yeah. That's Daniel and Seth. Although Daniel, Daniel may be a little bit more uh, functional. I don't know how else to put it. But Seth was so damaged by this and still is right. that he is petrified of setting foot in any church. Mm. Wow. And, and my, my bro, I know my brother is saved, but I know church terrifies him because he associates church with this evil man. Right. And so, part. Oh, sorry. Not to, not to cut you off. Um, so what was the, what was the eventual boiling point or breaking point where was it your family that eventually decided this was enough or was it something where once you were old enough to leave the home you you just left on your own what was the what was kind of the the um the exit the, of this the my my dad my dad finally realized on the basis of my brothers he had had it right. he started see through thompson he started to see through through the things thompson was saying and doing especially when it came to my brothers. Uh, Eric, he went to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, took Daniel and Seth to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to have tests done on them to determine what type of mental, uh, mental, mental challenges, what, what me mental uh, disabilities they had. And it came out, top of which is they have Fragile X Syndrome, which is the, the gene that causes all learning disabilities. Okay. Females, females are the carrier. Right. So I'm technically a carrier. And if I were to have a male child, 
there would be a 50-50 chance that that child would be mentally challenged or have some type of dis learning disability. Right. Um, now, my sister, Ivory, our youngest, she has a little boy. She was tested positive for this. Now, uh, my, my nephew, Mikey, he had cystic fibrosis. Okay. Which is one of the things that can result from this. But basically, my father went, ran them through a battery of tests through CHOP to prove that there was a legit issue, that it yeah. wasn't rebelliousness that needed to be driven from them. Right. And Thompson uh, wasn't apparently maybe wasn't satisfied enough. Mm. I don't know, because then he called in and my dad paid for it out of his own pocket. I learned later on, called in a, a, a Christian psychiatrist, somebody from John Hopkins Hospital. Okay. I can't remember this man's name, but this guy was about the kindest man I have ever I've ever seen. Loved the Lord very much, was very well educated, very humble about his education, which surprised me, you know, what, right. I, what I remember of him. Well, based on your experience with everyone else in the movement, that would be surprising for someone to have humility. Yeah. And he examined not only Daniel and Seth, but at least uh, three other children. Mm. I think at least three other children who had... Uh, disability issues. There's one young girl. There was. There were two twins. One was. I don't want to use the word normal, but she had no disabilities. Right. And her sister was physically disabled and couldn't talk, but she was very. They were both. They were both very sweet, especially, especially, uh, the the wheelchair bound one. She was a doll babe. Yeah. Whenever she would see me, she'd always have a hug and a kissy for me, which was so sweet. But. Um, he tested all these people, and he said to Joe Thompson at that time that their mentality, Daniel and Seth's mentality, was that of a kindergartner. Wow. And also the whole thing, according to my dad and my mom, all through the whole time where, where he's doing all this testing, Thompson is like pacing back and forth, wringing his hands like, did, did, did I hurt them anyway? Did I, did I damage them anyway, brother? Right. You know, how, you know you use the, everybody uses the term brother. Right. Did, did, I, did I harm them in any way, brother? You know, that, that type of thing. Yeah. And my dad knew something, you know, even more something was up. Cause now, yeah, because now he's scared. He's, he's scared. This, this guy's calling him on the carpet. And, you know, now, you know, that this, this so-called Christians, you know, that this Christian psychiatrist that he brings thinking will, will prove him right is proving him wrong. And he's scared out of his mind. Right. And um, during this time, too, I had another friend named who her and her sister and possibly their other sister were being also abused by Thompson wow. sexually and possibly physically. I know she shared something with me. When I turned 16, I had a sweet 16 party. Okay. And somehow or another, somebody uh, spread a rotten rumor that we were having some kind of a, a questionable party, which was total guess. It was an overnight where we, we went bowling and we had a great time. This poor girl was singled out for his abuse and big time. And she was locked away in one of the changing rooms in, in, the, in the church auditorium to do her schoolwork. She was segregated from us. Wow. And I found out <coughs> from her that he was trying to force himself on her. Mm. And she, she got away from him one day. She walked all the way from that church down to a, um, this is quite a long haul. She walked all the way down from the, from the church to this gas station car wash called Rudy's called up her father and I think told her father what was going on. And the father came up there and said, you ever touch my daughter again, your ass is grass and I'm the lawnmower. Hmm. I didn't know about this until a few years ago. Yeah. But what I do remember during that time, Thompson was desperate to try to keep us quiet. Okay. So he threatened both and I. 
And I think the threat was aimed at both of us. The threat was that if we ever left the church and told anybody what was going on, that he was going to falsify our academic records and tell the officials, you know, in, the, in, in whatever school district we'd go to, that we were quote unquote problem students. Right. His exact words were, I'm going to tell the folks at the Philistine school that you're probably, you know, that you're rebellious, that you're problem students. Right. And, I, and you know, there's that to go to. And I can't, I have a theory. I can't completely prove said theory, but I think if we would have stayed there any longer, Eric, he would have forced himself sexually on me. Right. And if I tried anything he could have had me hauled off to a Rebecca home for girls or Hezeba house or God only knows where and my dad would have gone along with it right but I think God used what happened with Daniel and Seth to stop that right and, and what were the conversations that were happening between you and the other students during this time was it just no one talked about it or was it something that you guys talked about throughout your day was it you know, what was the, what was the kind of student conversation mm -hmm. happening? I, after we got that threat, she's like, what do we do? You know, was to that. And I said, well, you know, there's only one thing we can do because I think at around that time, my dad was considering leaving. And I said, what we can do is let's wait until the end of the school year, which wasn't too far off. Wait until the last day of school, and then we that then we tell them we're not coming. We're not coming back. Right. And, and this way, our grades are already fixed in. They're fixed in in ink, and they can't do anything about it. And she thought, okay. And I waited. Last day of school, and I made it very clear. I said, my family and I, because because he was trying to start in on me, and I said, well, my family and I uh, have you know. I, I I said, well. You talk with my dad, but uh, today's our last day here and, and our last day with this church. And he was just like, the look on his face was like sheer terror almost. And he, I know he, he was trying to, to, to badger Daniel and Seth and Micah and everything. I know he was trying to badger anybody possible. And, 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 and before this, this, before this too, uh, there was another little situation involving Teresa Harkoff where I was trying to do something nice for her and having a birthday party for her because I, at that time, I admired her. Looking back on it, I was an idiot. Pardon me. Right. But my mom was going to make a, a really cool cake for her. She was going to make a, a vanilla type of a vanilla cake infused with green jello because green was this woman's favorite color and we were really going to design this cake for we were going to hold a nice party for her. well for some stupid reason she thought that we were going to use this party to broadcast her age on the cake everything got called off and i got singled out for for the ridicule and rebuke and i felt rotten my mom felt horrible for me and we went to visit my grandmother at that time who was still alive and my grandmother, I'm, I'm not certain, I think maybe she was saved and she drifted away from the Lord. She'd been through some things and you go through things where you question God. And she felt bad for me and she said to me, it's something that sticks with me. She says, Wendy, to be ashamed about one's age is childish. Hmm. And it stuck with me because a couple of months later, uh, Thompson was quoting a person, uh, a true debutante remembers a person's birthday, not their age, and had the nerve to do this in front of people, including in front of this vain woman, Teresa Harkoff. And I shot back as tactful as I could. To be ashamed about one's age is childish, Helen Piperata, and he flipped. She looked like she was, <coughs> she was, she was turning Several white and gray at the same time, like a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was his, his, his whole thing was like, how dare you? You, you imply, and I, I said, again, to be ashamed about one's age is childish. And she, she was just, they're trying to protest, you know, and, and I said, and I said, first off, 
you know, I was trying to do something nice and you acted this way. I was never going to broadcast your age. I would never do that. But they, it was like it went in one ear and out the other, you know. And it was like those things, those moments where I could, I could get in something to defend myself and stand up for myself. It wasn't very often. Right. But I remember, you know, the moment we let, you know, when it was known, last day of school, we're not coming back. He was scared out of his mind. I could see it. And he, 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 came, he came to our home at that time that summer with my report card, and none of my grades were falsified. I would have known. Praise God on it. I yeah. had that report card. And unfortunately, I was still so scared of what influence he had, Eric. <coughs> I was in 10th grade. I had just pre pretty much finished 10th grade, but I had an 8th grade education when it came to science and math and history. Right. Because we were doing the Becca book thing. And... I made the decision, and my, my father wholeheartedly supported it, and I think my mom should have said, no, you're going to go to school. I dropped out of school. I did get my GED when I was 18. As a matter of fact, I got my GED on my 18th birthday, and I praise God about it, but I struggled with it. Right. Uh, I struggled not just with that, but I struggled with myself emotionally because during that time when we were still going to this church, we were living with my great grandmother. And when she got bad uh, physically and mentally, I was the one cleaning her, dressing her and bathing her and feeding her. And for many years, <coughs> for many years, Eric, I felt like this was a punishment from God because of what Thompson was doing to me. Hmm. And she passed away of September in 80, September of 86, memory serves. Okay. And uh, I, I was relieved on it. I was praising God. She's home with the Lord, but I, I was also relieved. And after the will was all done, Thompson and the church got whatever money she promised them. We, we completely had nothing to do with them after that. But still, it, it affected me. I never told anybody. I, I kind of stuffed it in my mind thinking, well, maybe this didn't happen. Because right. I did try to say something to my dad again. And my dad flipped. And yeah. <clears throat> I thought maybe I did something wrong. So I'm like, okay, maybe it really didn't happen. Maybe I imagined it. And right. I, I never spoke it, but it, it still affected me. And it affected me to the point where um, I never, I didn't start dating. I didn't really start dating until I was 17 going on 18. Um, and my dating experiences weren't, weren't very fun. Weren't, yeah. weren't, especially my dad was still wrapped up in this legalism yeah. and he was trying to control me still. And I was 19 and I almost, I I almost married a very a very abusive man. Um, he I was 19. I'm thinking he was about 24, 25, and he had a drug habit. He was he was claiming he was clean, and that he was saved and he loved the Lord, but he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, his name was his name was his name is Chuck Heinrich, and I agreed to get engaged to him after only knowing him about two three months, and I got brave enough to finally call it off because he was verbally abusing me and physically abusing me. The physical, the way he would physically abuse me was not outright hitting me, but it was like shoving and pushing. And right. then finally one day <coughs> he brought out a nine millimeter Beretta when I was visiting him and said, if I ever left him, he was going to kill me, kill my family and kill himself. Wow. And I told him, God, it was, the, it was, I know it was the Lord just emboldened me and said, you're going to put that gun away. You're not going to touch me or my family were protected by God. You put that gun away. And he just meekly like a little sheep, put it away. And right at around that time, I think his dad showed up, but there was another moment where we were supposed to go to church together to his, 
supposedly his his church, and he said he wanted to stay home. And I'm like, hey, we're supposed to be in church together. You know, this is supposed to be, you know, what we're supposed to be starting our marriage on. And he just flipped. And right in the, I almost took a picture frame because I was so angry. I almost took a picture frame and I, I, I almost threw it at him. Hmm. His dad came in at that moment, I think. I walked out. And I was about ready to walk home. He lived in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and, and Easton were pretty close. And I was walking, I'm maybe about halfway to uh, where the bridge connecting Easton and Peaberg was. His father found me, picked me up, and drove me home. And all the way, he said, he, he told me I was too good for his son. Yeah. And he was worried about me. And I... I ultimately, a couple days later, I, I made the decision to not only call the wedding off, but to end the whole entire relationship. Yeah. But I spiraled into a depression like you wouldn't believe, Eric. All those memories were starting to come back. Yeah. I was afraid to leave the house because not just because of Chuck, but also these memories were just harming me so much. And we moved up to the Poconos. You know, my dad wanted to be away from the city, but I didn't want to live there. You know, I moved up there, but I wasn't there long. By 91, uh, I got accepted. I, I, I was doing a lot of research. Um, I found a Christian college that would take a person who only had a GED because um, they told me, that the, the person in their admissions department told me <coughs> how I could go about certain things. I got a hold of Pastor Mike Wallace, who was the assistant pastor um, before 84, uh, the one I was telling you about that was a really good egg. Right. And he gave me a letter of record. He gave me a high school reference. I got another high school reference from the person that taught the GED classes. And um, whatever else I needed, and I got accepted to what is now, back then it was Philadelphia College of Bible. Now it's Cairn University, totally going against my father's control. I went to college and I graduated in 1996. But uh, when I first got to college, I was one messed up person. Right. You know, because I was experiencing real freedom and I was starting to learn the scriptures better. And, and all this was colliding. And I finally confided to a school nurse what happened to me. And she set me up with a really wonderful therapist there. And helped me to see that what was done to me was not my fault. The things that I had done afterwards, you know, I needed to be accountable for. But what sure. was done to me was not my fault. And I learned how to really forgive. That forgiveness isn't, oh, you're forgiven and go on your way. It, it, it's taking that pain, anger, hate, you name it, with every emotion that you're feeling. And instead of holding that person accountable to you, you take that and you hold them accountable to God. You see what I'm saying? Right. That's what I chose to do. I had a 10-page letter, Eric, that I was going to send to this man because I had contacted uh, the, the DA's office in, in Northampton County at that time. And back then, the statute of limitations was not what, definitely not what it is now. Right. And my roommates and I prayed about it. I had some really sweet roommates. And they said, you know, you can forgive. You, I know you're not going to be able to forget, but you can forgive and you can choose to put them, to hold them accountable to God. So I took this 10-page letter. I prayed on it big time. And I said, Lord, I refuse to hate this man. I refuse to hold this hatred in my heart against him, but he needs to answer for what he's done. And I said, you are a God who grants justice, and I'm asking you to grant me justice. Mm. I said, please do that. I took that letter. I burned it. And three weeks later, that, that night was the first decent night's sleep I ever gotten. I don't know how long. Because of what this man put me through, I had bouts of insomnia. I, yeah. I, needed, I needed some form of noise to be able to get to sleep. Yeah. And... I got my first decent night's sleep in I don't know how long. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from my father telling me that Joe Thompson was murdered. 
Wow. Yeah. Apparently, and we're still trying to piece this together, but my sister and I think that the guy that killed him uh, had a girlfriend or somebody that maybe Thompson was doing something to and didn't like it and wanted to avenge her. Right. It was a 22-year-old man who was very mentally uh, mentally disturbed, and he's serving a life sentence for yeah. it. But he was shot in the back <laughs> of the head at point-blank range. Wow. There was no robbery or anything. It was just boom. And <clears throat> to me, that was part of, that's God's justice. Um, my mom says she was in the midst of getting an attorney to go after him for, for, for Daniel and Seth, but when this happened, decided not to. And I understand that. All I want, I want people to know about this guy. Yeah. I want people to know about First Baptist Church, about Joe Thompson, what he was really like. I don't want to hurt his wife, but his wife needs to know. Of course. So do the children. Um, I, I also want Teresa Harkoff and her husband Russ to be exposed because I believe they were accessories to it because they knew he had to have been doing these things and did nothing. When I went, when I especially voiced my objections, her husband, who became the, the new assistant pastor after Mike Wallace left, said, well, if he's touching you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to, you don't have to come to this church or school anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, say what? So blame he, is just yeah. on you. Right. It was, it was, like you said, all on me. Right. So, uh, so what's been the, I know you mentioned a little bit, you know, therapy obviously being a big part, but what's been the most helpful thing for you as you've, you know, recovered from this, as you've, as you've tried to move past these events, what's, what's been helpful for you in, in moving forward? Well, um, when I started my therapy, uh, my therapist gave me a really wonderful book. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named uh, Dr. Dan Allender. I haven't. Okay. He has a wonderful book that deals with this called The Wounded Heart. I highly recommend reading it. It really helped me. I think the other, the other thing that helped me too, to, to, that started the process even beforehand, uh, I'm a big Amy Grant fan. Okay. I, I was always hers. And she came out, one of her albums, Heart in Motion, she came out with a very powerful song called Ask Me. Hmm. And that song, God used that song to help sink some things into me. And um, Dan Allender, at the end of his book, uses the lyrics from that song. He uses the lyric he used the lyrics in that song to encourage people. Hmm. And um it was such a powerful thing for me. It was something that God ministered to me through that song, through so many other people, through through not just that song, but through my time, you know, reading God's word and Learning healthy relationships. Right. Learning, learning that what was done to me was wrong. I wasn't to blame for it. I'm not the one that did anything wrong. I'm not the one that did anything evil or sinful. It was all him. Right. And I learned that some of the things I did afterwards, you know, were, were, were because of what he did to me. And I needed to, to deal with that because I had this thing. I, I I wasn't promiscuous, but I, you know, I was I, I was allowing myself to be walked all over on, especially you can see it with Chuck and my right. own father. But I also developed this very severe, almost a severe distrust for men. Right. And it was, I wanted to be loved. I had to learn to see myself as God sees me, as a daughter of the king. 
And when I learned that, and I learned to be happy as I was, that that's what really, really helped the most. I did go back to the church with uh, somebody I was dating at the time. I went back there, I think in 94. Okay. And the, uh, went back to the church and the church was open. There was nobody there, Eric, which was the, the most interesting thing yet. It was open. Nobody there. I went through the very basement where we had the Christian school, the whole nine yards. And I was going through the different rooms. They were partitioned off. They had these partitions. And I went, I was in the kitchen area where, where, the, where the, the, the most traumatic thing happened to me that I shared with you. Went through every part of that, that, that church. And I was in that basement area in particular, and I encountered one of the, one of the chalkboards. It has one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And it was about that moment during that time that I started to realize when I thought God wasn't there or that he had turned his back on me, he hadn't. He was protecting me from worse, Eric. Hmm. He was protecting me from worse. He was protecting my brothers from worse. He was protecting all of us. He was protecting me especially from worse because like I said, I think he was waiting until I turned 17 or even 18 because then he would have had sex with me. I think here in Pennsylvania, there's an age of consent either being 16 or 17. So he was waiting for that 17 to be age of consent, and he would have forced himself on me no. and convinced me that it was all normal. Hmm. And, you know, I, I'm thinking that's what, what his whole intent was. Right. I really do. And I think that if it had continued, if we'd have stayed there and I tried to say anything, he could have had me shoved off to a Christian reform school. Right. He, you know, he could have, he could have said, I was, I was nuts. I was, I was lying, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. No, well, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, so much for sharing that, that story. And, and, um, I mean, I now have a degree. I I have a degree in Bible with an emphasis in counseling. I've also gone on to have a degree in medical billing and coding. I've been married for going on 20 years. That's amazing. Uh, it's awesome, you know, and I try to help people out who've been through this whenever possible. Right. Well, what, well, on that note, um, as we kind of wrap up, you know, you've obviously spent a good portion of your life outside of the movement trying to help other people who have been through similar situations. What would you yeah. say to someone who's currently maybe listening to this who might be sitting in a pew of a abusive ministry on Sunday and doesn't feel like they're able to leave or doesn't feel like they're able to speak out. What would you say to them? Um, if you could sit down with them right now, I tell them, I tell them that they are a redeemed child of God. They're worth more than this. Mm-hmm. That if, what they're hearing from their pastor, they're comparing it with scripture on their own, and they're seeing that what their pastor is saying goes against what you're reading from scripture. Don't be afraid to get the heck out of there. Hmm. Don't be afraid to get out of there. I'd say you are not at fault. Yeah. You are not at fault This that you are worth so much more, especially to women. If, any, if there's any woman out there if there's any woman out there who is going through what I went through, know that you are loved by an almighty God, that God loves you. He cares about you. Don't buy into the lies that you're being told, that you're inferior, that you deserve, whether you deserve it or not, you need to be beaten once a week, that you're, all you're good for is, is cooking, cleaning, sex. You're worth more than that. Look at Proverbs 31 and see how much worth you are to God. 
No, that's that's such an important message because the culture of guilt and of victim yeah. blame and of of telling people that they're not worth anything is so rampant and so many people I've talked to share have shared that kind of emotion and that feeling and it's, I know it's the weapon that these abusers use Eric no. it's the weapon that they use and people need to know it, it that the weapon that they are using it, it, it's a lie from Satan yeah. and, and these people that are doing this they're the real false prophets yeah 100% agree so no I think I, yeah I think that that message is what people need to hear that are in it is is that the power is not all with one person it's you know you have access to just as much power as they do and you have the ability to to walk away even though it doesn't feel you know when you're in the middle of it, it feels like there's nothing you can do and so yeah. I, think, I think hearing stories exactly like yours and hearing that perspective and showing people that you know you can leave and things will be okay is yes. really important you, but that they need to don't be afraid to read the scriptures for yourself and live right. them out and if you get ridiculed for it let them ridicule all they want and and if they if they start bad mouthing you and slandering you after you leave you take whatever legal action you need to do for that yeah. but 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 don't let them guilt trip you don't let them gaslight you you are not yeah. the one at fault yeah no, well, thank you. Thank you again so much for, for sharing that story. Um, and if anybody wants to contact me, if anybody wants to contact me, they can contact me on my Facebook page. Or um, I have a, a blog of my own called Fundamentalist Refugees. Okay. Uh, uh, but I, I want to let people know that they, that if, if, and I even have a YouTube page, you know, please, please let's, let's just, please know if you've got any questions, I'll try to point you in the best direction possible. Awesome. Well, great. Yeah. I'll, I'll put some info when this episode releases, I'll um, include that in the notes so that way they can connect with you and, um, and uh, that way they can find you and, and uh, have a conversation with you if that's something that they would find helpful. So thank you for, for making yourself available for that. So thank you so much. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.